What am I even doing, you guys? What is wrong with me? I should just make that this week's gold star question because I haven't even gotten to the greeting in this episode yet and I'm already equal parts terrified and pissed. Welcome everybody to the Atomic Skull podcast. I am your host, Drunky Brewster. And this episode is going to be one of those it seemed like a good idea at the time kind of things. But knowing myself as I do, there's a very good chance it's going to take a turn. So here's the deal, fellow weird kids. During this episode, oh man, I am going to be taking three shots of tequila. Patron Silver, to be exact. No salt, no lime, no chaser. I'm going to do it raw. I'm taking the first shot in just a moment, and I'm going to set the alarm in my phone to go off in eight minutes and in 16 minutes for the other two shots. And I'm already questioning my life choices, which is so on brand for me. A little behind-the-scenes housekeeping for you guys real quick. A, before every episode, I've been taking a standard shot of tequila to loosen up, and this episode is no different, so I'm already one deep. Two, the three shots of tequila are already in front of me. So while the first one should be relatively chilled because the tequila was in the freezer, by the time I get to the third one, it's going to be a little closer to room temperature, and that is just going to be a hoot and a holler. And D, (laughs) this is my second take. My first take, a couple of minutes after I did my first shot, which is technically my second shot if you count the pregame, there was a loud police siren that drove right by my window that distracted me. So I just said, fuck it, I'm starting from scratch. All right, let's get on with it. I have so much to talk about today, and I'm going to be touching on all four corners of the emotional spectrum. So let's get to shot number one. Cheers to every single one of you with me right now. Whenever you're listening to this, day of release, week of release, month of release, or you're just now catching up, you got here right on time. All right, let's do the damn thing. (laughs) All right, Tiber started. So I had an ex slide into my DMs recently, unprovoked. And it wasn't just an ex, it was that ex. You know what I'm talking about when I say that X, right? It's the X that makes you eat the second piece of cheesecake or stay up for that third hour laying in bed hating yourself or take that fourth shot of tequila after you finish recording your podcast. You know that X. You have that X. You know their name. You're thinking of their name in your head right now. And it kind of makes you sick to your stomach no matter how much you wish it didn't. If you don't have that X... I have bad news for you. Either you haven't met that ex yet, or... Now for me, it's the ex that the people who have known me for a real long time, they're gonna text me when they hear this and ask if I'm okay. That ex. But you don't have to reach out to me to ask if I'm okay, I'll just answer you now. I haven't been okay in years. (laughs) We haven't really seen each other in a decade. She reached out to me, basically to let me know she still hates me. That's fair. I still hate me too. I guess it's nice to know we have things in common 10 years later. Her reaching out to me and what she said was a pant load of shit to process. And it gave me a lot to drink about. I wasn't sure who to talk to about it because I have a small, a minute, a teeny tiny, a skosh amount of trust issues. And normally that means I wouldn't talk to 
fucking anybody about it. But instead, this time I'm going to talk about it with everyone. Because then, as Childish Gambino says, everyone can't tell everyone. They already know. I'm not going to get into specifics because everyone has their own issues, their own experiences, their own story, their own boundaries, their own heart, and I respect all of those things. But I want to at least try to say something I've been thinking about that I hope is a little bit universal. Everyone is the bad guy in someone's story. No one is safe. Statistically, there's someone out there that hates Steve Irwin. Think about it. There has to be, right? Yeah, I knew Steve Irwin. He prick. He had a root with my mom behind a Macca's in 86 or whatever. I don't know. Australian's not really one of mine. The truth of the matter is that somebody that used to care about you, probably, at one point that cared about you, tells a story about you now that makes you sound like Ed fucking Kemper. And maybe you were. I know I have been. I have a lot of red in my ledger. I am the Serena Williams of unintentionally pissing people off. What a horrible thing to be great at, am I right? If there is a bad guy or multiple bad guys in your story, I might suggest you ask yourself this question. Are they a villain or are they an enemy? If they're a villain, someone who is purposely and intentionally evil, leave them in the rearview mirror right where they fucking belong, and focus on the road. If they're an enemy, ask yourself a second question. Not why are they an enemy, you know why they're an enemy. Ask yourself, why is it so important to you that you have an enemy? And you know what, that's why I don't have enemies. None. There is nobody I have ever come across in my life that couldn't slide into my DMs for whatever reason, even just to check in and say hello. I can't promise I'll be nice. I'm rarely ever nice. But I can promise I will never fail to be kind. One of the best pieces of advice I have ever gotten is lead with your heart. It's that simple. And nobody's life has ever been enriched by having an enemy. Building bridges is always better than building walls. All right, now that we've gotten that out of the way, I want to talk about something completely unrelated to how I feel about the person in the previous topic. Assholes. Seriously, I'm going to talk about assholes. I'm not shitting you. Although I do apologize for that pun. I have no excuse for that pun. But I do stand behind it. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm not even fully invested in this podcast yet. He's not going to actually talk about assholes, is he? Yes, he is. Believe it or not, I accidentally came across a few interesting stories about the topic. Don't worry. I'm not going to make it extra gross. I'm going to try really hard to keep it, you know, civil here, but I wouldn't recommend you eat any chili while listening to this portion of the show. Have you ever heard of the Jewish curse of hemorrhoids? (laughs) Apparently it was caused somehow when Jesus died and Pontius Pilate was involved or something like that. I didn't really dive too much into it because the whole thing is Mishigas. What I did find, though is that several hundred years ago, when Europe was ruled by the church, the popular belief among the Goyim was that Jewish people often had hemorrhoids something terrible, and some sort of magical way they would get rid of it was to, quote, drink the blood of Christian children. As a member of the tribe. I'm not practicing, I'm not bar mitzvahed, but I did come from a Jewish mishpocha. As a member of the tribe, I am going to call bullshit. There is no way the blood of Christian children is kosher. 
Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, did you know that doctors for popes in medieval times had to monitor and keep a written record of papal bowel movements, including smell, shape, and texture. I want you to remember that the next time you think you have a shitty job. I'm coming in hot with the doo-doo puns today, you guys. You cannot stop them. You can only hope to contain them. Let's move on to this week's medium pimpin' feature, which I'm sure you'll all be thrilled to know does not involve any sort of BM. This one is a little more involved than last week, and I am here for it. Quote, the husband and kids are busy and don't need me for hours. I get a big, hot, venti, cinnamon, dolce latte, then go get my toes done, specifically a French tip or a periwinkle. Just my toes so I can read a magazine or book that is not related to my job or my kids. Come home, this is my favorite part, you guys, and take half of a gummy, and in parentheses, they put, wink, wink, it's a pot gummy. That is just entirely too wholesome for me. Just enough of a gummy to make me giggle and have the munchies, but still be able to function at a slower pace. Then I'll DoorDash Taco Bell and watch old episodes of The Walking Dead. This is the business, you guys. It is long form. It is well thought out. Shooting for the stars as far as a full plan is concerned, I love it. Send me your medium pimpin' blueprints, whether they be accurate or hopeful. Atomic Skull Podcast at gmail.com at Atomic Skull Podcast on Instagram. My phone alarm just went off. It is already time to take the second shot of tequila. Fuck me. All right, here we go, you guys. Oh. <coughs> Smooth. Real. Real smooth. All right, another eight minutes on the timer. All right, there we go. Oh, before I forget, a little bit of cleanup from last week with the music stuff. Don't worry, you guys. It'll be quick. I had a listener point out that I forgot my favorite bass player. Shit, I am so sorry. I've been thinking about this for a couple of days, and I can narrow it down to two of them, but I cannot choose between the two. So it is going to be a tie between Cliff Burton from Metallica, who is a demon on the bass, and the man himself, the late, great Bootsy Collins from Parliament Funkadelic. Two incredible, talented, dead bass players that I love so much, and what I wouldn't give to see the two of them switch places for just one gig. Oh my god, that shit would be wild. Considering the theme of this week's episode, I thought it would be fun to share three of my most embarrassing drunk stories for everybody's infotainment. The first drunk story is at my band's very last show. I had never really had a drink. I was 21 and everybody wanted me to take a shot of something because I was just kind of notorious for not drinking so much at the time. So I agreed at that show to shoot whatever it was that was in front of me. My drummer, a longtime friend is a fucking sadist, and he ordered me a shot of Bacardi 151 because he knew that that would just fuck me up. So I didn't want to let anybody down. I had a bunch of people watching me, so I just 
took that shot of Bacardi 151 and I did my best to hold it together. I put on a strong face, but Jesus Christ, you guys, it was like instant. And I, I, I held it together for a sec and I just said, you guys, I need to go outside to the side of the building and throw up about something else. And despite almost immediately throwing it all up, somehow I still got drunk. I don't know how that worked out. Fun fact, that night was also the first time I ever ate Jack in the Box. And Jay and the Bee is going to show up at least one more time in these stories. The second story was Christmas Eve, sometime around maybe 2005. I've worked in retail pretty much my whole life. So I was alone on Christmas Eve. I would, you know, be dating or, you know, whatever with living with people who, you know, didn't work retail or whatever that looked like. And they would go home for the holidays, which is totally fine. That doesn't bother me at all. But I've actually spent more Christmas days alone than I have with family or friends or loved ones or anything like that. But in this particular case, even though I was alone... I was off for three days. I got off at like four o'clock in the afternoon on Christmas Eve. I was off the 25th, 26th, and 27th. I had no plans. I had nothing to do. And I decided I am getting drunk. Unfortunately, because it was Christmas Eve and I lived in a small town in Arizona, everything was already closed. So I said, fuck it. I am drinking what I have in the house. And here is what I had in the house. I started with vodka Pepsi. It is as awful as it sounds. I don't even know why I decided to mix vodka and Pepsi. After this one particular time, I never did it again. And then I moved on to shots of apple pucker, plural, multiple shots of apple pucker. Why we only had apple pucker in the house and nothing to mix it with is beyond the fuck out of me. And then I finished with red wine from a box. And this was a monumental moment for me because this was my first ever drunk dial. It was also my second, third, and fourth drunk dial. Oh yeah, and I threw all of that up that night. I had colors that came out of my mouth that Sherwin-Williams could not match if I paid them $10,000. And the very important lesson I learned, which is probably the one you're yelling at me about right now, is do not mix your liquor. Not that I haven't done it since then, but I haven't done it in that kind of way. I felt like crap for the next at least day and a half. My third story is actually my second Christmas story. And this is recent. This was maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, 2018? Maybe 2019? I went to a bar on Christmas night with Mrs. What's-Her-Name and her family. It wasn't that we just went to the bar and got drunk because it was Christmas. We had a wonderful Christmas morning. We opened presents. It was very family-like, something I'm not used to, but I absolutely loved. My cock mother-in-law, CJ, made an amazing, beautiful, delicious spread for breakfast. We had a wonderful time, but after that, there wasn't really anything to do. So we had some friends of ours who were going over to the bar and we thought, you know what, let's go over to the bar. Let's have a couple of drinks. Again, I had the day after Christmas off through some kind of crazy circumstance. So why not? We went out and we had a little fun. Getting drunk that night was not my fault. They kept giving me Long Island iced teas. Who is they? 
I have no idea. Drinks were being put in my hand, and I was processing them appropriately. That is all I know. I have never blacked out while drinking. But I think I browned out on this one. I'm told I had fun that night. I recall fun being had. I do remember, once again, being in a jack-in-the-box parking lot, obnoxiously yelling at my saint of a wife to go into J and the B and demand that they give me a Whopper. And God bless her. She was like, okay, baby, I'm going to go get you a Whopper. When we got home, I even think she handed me whatever burger it was that she got and told me it was a Whopper. And if memory serves, I passed out mid-chew and woke up with some of it still in my mouth. Happy birthday, Jesus. And that brings me to the return of the gold star question. It's actually two gold star questions, really. Three, if you want to get technical. First, what liquor can you not drink anymore and why? I can't wait to hear about this one. And second, what type of booze, if any, makes you an asshole? I'm actually going to answer both of these right now because I'm already at it. And that leads me to a bonus drunk story for you guys. I'm giving you extra bread out here. The fourth drunk story I have is the rum party story. For a little while there, rum and coke was my go-to for a long time. I was about, I think I was like 27-ish, and I was at a party, and a hot, pale, tattooed goth girl I had a crush on was flirting with me a little bit and told me she could outshoot me drinking Captain. This girl was... Oh, shit, Amber. All right. Time for shot number... Oh, God. Time for shot number three. Uh, I'll get back to the story in a second. Here we go. Oh, God. All right. Oh. Okay. (coughs) All right. Where was I at? Um, The... The hot, tattooed, pale goth girl. I love those things. This girl was a buck 20 soaking wet and several years my junior. There was absolutely no way she was going to outshoot me. So we sat down and we had a Raiders of the Lost Ark style shootout in front of everybody there. 14 shots of Captain Later. I'm not shitting you. 14 shots shots of captain i mean she couldn't do it so i guess i won but oh at what a price it was pretty much a night ender for me and for the next three days no matter how much i brushed my teeth or spit and rinsed my mouth tasted like barf rum and barf flavored rum and to this day i can't even look at a bottle of captain without wanting to fucking kill myself As far as what makes me an asshole, I mostly consider myself a surprisingly happy drunk. So I asked my beautiful wife, this is what's her name, what kind of drink makes me an asshole? And her response, and I quote, was water. So there it is for me. Uh, I chose the gold star questions this week because I want to see if there's like one particular booze that comes up again and again, or if it varies a whole bunch. I'm genuinely intrigued. 
Instagram at Atomic Skull Podcast. You can email me Atomic Skull Podcast at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear your responses about that. Can't wait to read them over the next couple of weeks. A quick Marvel Ho alert. Why are so many people complaining about She-Hulk twerking with Megan the Stallion? How is it that Chris Pratt can do a ridiculous dance-off to the Shylights to distract Ronan the Accuser and Guardians of the Galaxy, but we can't have a little twerking scene with a genuine rap star at a post-credits. Fuck you. I wouldn't want to meet the person who wouldn't twerk with Megan the Stallion if given the opportunity. For me, I have no ass. Literally, I am sans an ass. But if I had the chance, bitch, I would fucking get low with her. Let's uh, let's let's end it. Let's get towards the end and go to the best and the worst of the week. I need to do this because I, I'm already feeling these shots of tequila and it is almost breakfast burrito 30 out here. Before you ask me what I like in my breakfast burrito, I'm going to tell you the answer. It's fucking all of it. Eggs, potatoes, cheese, and whatever dead animal you want to throw in there. A little bit of grease, some hot sauce, and I am all set. The best of the week was the Taylor Hawkins tribute. Taylor Hawkins was the drummer for the Foo Fighters, and he died a couple of months ago in South America, literally hours before the Foo Fighters were supposed to play Lollapalooza. Everybody loved the shit out of him. He was a solid dude. He was really funny. He was a good drummer. He loved music. So they held a tribute for him at Wembley Stadium in London, just like they did for Freddie Mercury in 1992. And it was seven hours worth of pure musical awesomeness. They brought out all of Taylor's faves. So many people were there. They had Alex Lifeson and Getty Lee, and they did some Rush songs. Brian Johnson from ACDC and Lars Ulrich from Metallica did Back in Black. Stuart Copeland, who is one of my favorite drummers, did some police songs with the Foo Fighters. They had the Pretenders there. They had members of Queen there. They had Paul McCartney there. It was fucking epic. For me, my favorite guest was Eddie Van Halen's son, Wolfie, Wolfgang Van Halen. So Eddie, he would he would play the shit out of everything. He was a fucking killer guitar player. He would do stuff that was impossible. And he taught his son to play guitar. And Wolfie is a killer guitarist himself. His band Mammoth is actually pretty good. But he kind of borderline angrily refuses to play Van Halen songs, which I totally understand. He wants to make his own way instead of treading on his dad's name. He said a bunch of times that he'll never play his dad's songs, and I totally respect wanting to work hard for your own paycheck. I get that. Now, Taylor Hawkins loved Van Halen. At the tribute show, Wolfie surprised everybody by playing Hot for Teacher, which is a signature in particularly difficult Eddie Van Halen song off of 1984, which is one of the great rock albums of all time. Guess what year it was released? And Wolfgang fucking murdered it. He made that whole, the riff, the solo, everything look effortless. Justin Hawkins from The Darkness, I love The Darkness, did the vocals on Hot for Teacher, which is perfect. He sounded great. I watched that clip and that was probably the giddiest I have been in a long ass time. But the real money was in the emotional moments that came during the Foo Fighters set 
at the end of the night. Now, before I get to that, I want to talk about the Foo Fighters a little bit and their singer, Dave Grohl. I've always said that the Foo Fighters are nobody's favorite band. A lot of people, including myself, love the Foo Fighters. I do. I like them a lot. But I've never actually met anyone who has them as their number one favorite band, which is kind of weird to me. However, Dave Grohl, who is the, he's the singer, he's the guitarist, might be my favorite frontman out there right now. He's probably at the top of the list of famous people that I would like to hang out with. If you haven't seen Dave Grohl's episode of Hot Ones, the host of the show, Sean Evans, totally fights back tears telling Dave Grohl how cool it is to hang out with him. Check that out on YouTube if you haven't. It's it's fucking adorable. I want to give you a quick story about why Dave is so awesome. This will kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. So there were some miners who got trapped down in a mine in Beaconsfield, which is in Australia. And it got out that they were listening to the Foo Fighters. I think it was like two or three of them down there. It got out that they were listening to the Foo Fighters to kind of keep their spirits up and, uh, you know, give them a little energy and give them hope to, to make it, to be able to get out of there. When you're trapped in a mine... It's 50-50, man. Like, you might make it and you might not. It's a terrifying situation. What they could do down in the mine was lower down letters to help them. I don't know how how long they were down there, but they were down there for a nice little bit. And uh, the people who were there lowered down a letter from Dave Grohl. And Dave wrote this letter saying, yo, you guys, I hear you're listening to the Foo Fighters down there. And that is amazing. That touches my heart so much. As soon as you guys get out of there, I will fly you to any Foo Fighters show you want anywhere in the world, front row seats. And then after the show, we'll crack open a couple of cold beers. That is how fucking awesome Dave Grohl is, just to give you an idea. All right. The beginning of the Foo Fighters set at the Taylor Hawkins tribute. Dave comes out and plays Times Like These, which is one of the biggest Foo Fighters songs out there. I'm sure you know it. Beautiful song. He plays Times Like These by himself, just guitar and vocals, played it nice and slow, real emotional. And you guys, tears are literally pouring down his face. He is visibly wiping them away. He stops singing because he can't do it. And the audience steps up and starts singing his parts for him. Fuck! That is such an emotional moment. Nothing in the world does that like music, you guys. Nothing. And then the next amazing moment was at the end of the show, the very last song, Taylor's son, Shane, comes out and plays drums for the Foo Fighters song, My Hero. And you can see every emotion po- possible. Whew. You can see every emotion coming out of this little 16-year-old kid as he is playing. He cries. He laughs. He sounds amazing like his dad did. He owned it. He's smiling. Dave is smiling. What an incredible way to end a tribute show. I was beside myself watching the videos for the whole thing. They are all on YouTube. You guys, Google Foo Fighters Taylor Hawkins Tribute Show. It is going to be one of the best things you see all day. Rest easy, Taylor, man. R.I.P. Now, the worst of the week, and I am so excited to get to this. I have been waiting all week to talk about it. We are going to break down everything we can find from Don't Worry, Darling. 
if you haven't heard all of the shit with this movie, strap in because it is maximum drama and I can't look away. The deeper it gets, the more obsessed I am with it. And this is going to basically play out like an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. And I am about to bob stack the shit out of this. Don't Worry Darling is a movie that is directed by Olivia Wilde. I loved her as 13 in House. She was great. Her debut as a director was Booksmart on Hulu. Fantastic movie. If you haven't seen Booksmart, I 100% recommend it. It was one of my favorite movies of 2019. As for Don't Worry Darling, originally the movie starred Shy the Beef, Shia LaBeouf, I am going to call him Shia LaBeef. In French, Shia LaBeouf translates to Shia the Beef in English. I'm going to call him Shia the Beef. If you have a problem with that, get your own fucking show. It stars Shia the Beef, Florence Pugh, and Chris Pine. Okay? During filming, Shia the Beef gets replaced by the lovely and talented Harry Styles. All right. Actors get replaced in movies all the time. And I remember reading I remember reading about it. But it I, I didn't think much of it because Shy the Beef is a fucking asshole. I don't really like Shy the Beef that much. Alright? So I figured the fact that Shy the Beef is the asshole had something to do with it. He's allowed to be an asshole, and I'm allowed to not like him for it. Alright? So here we go. Shit gets weird back in April. Olivia Wilde, the director, is on stage at CinemaCon, which is an event created by filmmakers, for filmmakers, and about filmmakers. She's talking about her upcoming movie, Don't Worry Darling. While she is on stage, someone she has never seen before, that none of us have ever seen before, hands her an envelope, just walks out on stage and hands her an envelope. Olivia, apparently, thinks it's a movie script. She opens it. It turns out she just got served custody papers that her ex-husband Jason Sudeikis filed against her. She gets served custody papers on stage. This immediately stinks to me. You mean to tell me there was such a breakdown in venue security, stage security, personal security, that some random Yahoo can just pimp right out on stage? And then she stops her entire prepared conversation to open the envelope. For what reason? Why would she think it was a script? If somebody walked in to my office right now and it handed me something while I was recording this, I would put it down on my desk and not think any mind of it until I was done recording. Why would she assume someone deliver a script to her on stage? Why would anyone even do that? Whatever it was, why would she not wait? I don't know all the facts, but I certainly have a lot of questions. It just seems really weird. Now, fast forward to about a month or so ago when the cast and Olivia start doing press junkets for the movie. First of all, Olivia Wilde is now publicly dating Harry Styles, who replaced Shy the Beef when he quit the movie. I have no issue with that. Olivia Wilde is 38. Harry Styles is 28. They're both getting it. 
they are one of the more delicious Hollywood couples, and I'm I'm all for that. All right. Olivia mentions in an interview that she fires Shy the Beef. She fired him, basically because he was an asshole. He created a hostile filming environment. Okay. Sounds about right. I could see myself purchasing that. Meanwhile, Shy the Beef catches wind of Olivia Wilde saying she fired him, and he says, fuck that. I didn't get fired. I quit. Because there wasn't enough time to rehearse, or whatever it was. And Shy the Beef, it turns out, had receipts. He released a video of Olivia Wilde begging him to stay. Begging. Apparently, there was a pretty big issue with Shy the Beef and Florence Pugh, or as Olivia Wilde apparently called her in the video, Miss Flo. For some reason, I can't quite put my finger on That name is offensive. I don't know why, but that name is fucking offensive. So the video gets released of her begging him to stay. Florence Pugh, in response, says, Fuck it. I am not going to do any fucking premieres for the movie, and I'm not going to do any press for it. Meanwhile, she is the star of the whole fucking movie, and maybe the hottest actress in Hollywood right now. And she is going to pretty much abandon the whole fucking thing. Yikes. I don't know if it was like a couple of hours or a couple of days after that, but I'm certain that a couple of publicists pick up a couple of smoking habits. But Florence Pugh says, okay, all right, all right. I'm going to go to the Venice Film Festival premiere, but that's it. That's fucking it. I'm not going to do anything else. So the film festival is where shit goes off the fucking rails. The whole cast and the director are all there. They do some fucking interviews. The press starts doing what they are supposed to do, and they ask Florence Pugh about all the drama. And she tries to downplay it. She tries to downplay the whole thing to the media, which is the noble thing to do. But she is obnoxiously half-assing it. So she's asked in an interview, what do you think of Olivia? <laughs> You're going to have to forgive me, you guys. So she's asked in an interview. <laughs> Fuck. So she's asked in an interview, what do you think of Olivia Wilde? And her response is basically, Olivia Wilde is a living, breathing person that exists. Olivia Wilde does the same thing. She says there's no issues. She's asked what she thinks of Florence Pugh. And her response was essentially, Florence Pugh is an actress that starred in a movie that I directed. Can we get a saucer of milk for two, please, here? Meanwhile, the lead actors of the film, Chris Pine and Harry Styles, very good-looking gentlemen. Mrs. What's-Her-Name wants to just, like, jump on Chris Pine's head. And I feel pretty much the same way about Harry Styles. They were free and clear of all the drama that was going on the festival until all the stars were taking their seats into the theater. Chris Pine gets introduced and he gets to his seat and he's looking very nice. He's dressed in like a kicky, fuck you, I'm in Venice during the summer and you're not outfit. looks fantastic. And then here come Harry Styles. Now, if you somehow haven't seen the video, I encourage you to watch it. 
because here's where the unsolved mystery really starts. And I'm not sure about the facts. I want to tell you that up front. But it looks like, it mighty looks like, Harry Styles spits on Chris Pine right before he sits down. Now, as for me, I can't actually see the spit itself. But Pine's reaction pretty much says it all. And then the internet blows up. No one is talking about the ladies in their drama anymore. Everyone is talking about Chris Pine and Harry Styles. No one is talking about the movie. No one is talking about Florence Pugh. No one is talking about Shy the Beef. That is one magic loogie. Obviously, Harry Styles denies it. But the memes of Chris Pine wearing the the headphones he's wearing like translation headphones during an interview during like a press junket and he is clearly not wanting to be at this press conference he's in venice how is he in venice and not wanting to be at a press conference i don't care what i was doing in venice i don't care i would be there but the memes of him not wanting to be there and being fucking done with it are coming in strong and that leads me to leave it might have actually happened but harry styles has had a run of madison square garden shows he sold out like 20 or 30 shows at madison square garden for you know he's got this new album called harry's house i mentioned it in the last episode i absolutely love it i do recommend you check it out harry's house is one of the great albums this year i think it's gonna be one of the great albums of all time i know that sounds crazy but when he had his first show at Madison Square Garden back after he went to Venice, he made a comment on stage talking about how he flew to Venice over the weekend and spit on Chris Pine. He's joking about it at his shows. He's keeping it light. By contrast, when Chris Rock got Chris clocked at the Academy Awards earlier this year, he refused to talk about it on stage. So I don't know. I'm a little torn. I genuinely have no idea whether Chris Pine got spit on or whether it was a whole thing. But check out the video, man, and judge for yourself because it is truly, truly an unsolved mystery. So here we are. And Olivia Wilde is now pretty much the only one who is doing press for the movie. She's been asked yet again whether she fired Shy the Beef or he quit. And all she says, and that quote, is he was replaced, which is definitely talking, but is not really saying anything. Now, as I record this, this is the best part for me. Oh, my God, I'm dying. This is the best part for me. The movie in question, Don't Worry Darling, has a 42% score on Rotten Tomatoes right now. It is getting creamed with bad reviews and... That is the most amazing cherry on top of this whole fucking story. I think when it comes to movies on set, or when it comes to, (laughs) fuck me, fucking tequila. When it comes to problems on set in movies, it comes down to the director. The director is the boss. They're responsible for getting the best performances out of their team their best performances out of their cast, their crew, and they're responsible for making sure that the set is a healthy place for performance and for pre- for creativity. 
Uh, they're responsible for bringing their vision to life. And it really looks like Olivia Wilde is not really doing such a great job at any of those. I do have a wild theory, though. I Here's my theory. All the things that are happening right now in real life, all the drama surrounding this whole thing, that is the movie. I feel like the drama surrounding this whole thing is the movie. And the actual movie is just the setup to put all of this in place so we can experience this whole ass thing for free in 5D. I also should mention I'm pretty fucking buzzed right now. So I haven't even eaten today. I, you know, don't take my word for it. We're going to find out the truth in like eight months after everything dies down and the actors start talking a whole bunch of shit because the studio doesn't have it by the balls anymore. So pay attention in eight months when things really fucking get crazy. Now, before I get out of here, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. I hope she's resting easy wherever she is and not getting her ass beat by Princess Diana too much. I wanted to honor the queen in a song of the week. And I've been thinking for a, you know, a day or two about exactly what number I should use to do that. The Queen is Dead by the Smiths is way too fucking easy. Plus, I absolutely despise Morandi. <laughs> Fuck me, Jerry. I absolutely despise Morrissey, so I'm not going to go that route. I do not like Morris Morrissey, that fucking vegan turd. God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols is maybe a little too cheeky for the occasion. So I'm going to go a little simpler which Her Majesty would appreciate. So if you have a minute, and I literally do mean a minute, go check out Her Majesty by The Beatles, which is the song of the week. And here we are again, y'all. Thank you so much for taking this journey with me, for listening to me slur my way through the second half of this episode. I've gotten so much wonderful feedback from people telling me that they don't really usually like listening to podcasts very often, but when they listen to mine here, my little my little shit show that I got running, it feels like they're just sitting around and having a conversation with me. That makes me feel amazing. Shit, man. Like that number that's the number one goal for me. And I'm so grateful that it's reaching people the way that I hope it would. Send me an email, slide into my DMs, talk to me about the episodes, send me articles that you want me to talk about online. Please be sure to rate me five stars on Spotify. Tell anyone that you can to listen and to check check my shit out. The more people that are part of the conversation, the more fun it is for all of us, including me. So I will see you guys next week. I'm going to go try to convince Mrs. What's Your Name to go get me a breakfast burrito. And uh, I already can't wait for next week's episode, you guys. I promise I will be at least a little bit more sober. How are you doing? 